So, so let's do this, family. Let's do this. Let's turn to the text of Scripture, Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 37. And we're going to start reading at verse 1, and I'm going to cut the fast forward on because I want to read all the way down to verse 12. Dr. Wilson, thank God for your presence as well, sir. The anointing is here. I think you're a huge reason why. Praise God for you. <laughs> I have the microphone, and I, I'm, I'm tempted right now, but I won't do that because it's time to preach. <laughs> Ezekiel 37, starting at verse 1. This is how the Word of God reads, and I hope you have it with you because I want us reading together. If you're, if you're online at home, go ahead and grab your Bible. Let's do this, whether it's the original paginated version or the electronic version. Ezekiel 37, verse 1, reads this way. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. By the way, I just discovered that if you're in your cars, you could tune your FM dial to 95.5. Is that correct? 95.5 FM. There we go. Yes, you can do that and follow along in your cars. Verse 2, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and you will cause and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a great rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And, and I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the, the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, can these, bone, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, listen to what Israel says about themselves. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. And this is the final verse of our consideration, verse 12. Therefore prophesy, God, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Family and friends, we're going to have a conversation now, and we're going to title this conversation, It's Not Too Late. I'm going to say it one more time, and I don't know who I'm talking to, but the sermon title has already begun to speak to somebody who's in a season who needs the reminder that it's not too late. No, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for them. It's not too late for this. It's not too late for that. Somebody needs to get this word and hold on to it. I encourage you, if you're in your home and you have the ability, write these notes down because I want you to capture what the Spirit of God is saying. Today I want to preach. It's not. <laughs> oh, God, it's not too late. Brothers and sisters, as I've taken some time to consider the 
trends, disruptive trends that have taken place over the last year or so. As we shifted into this pandemic, I've noticed a couple of things. And I want to share with you some of these observations because I think it's relevant for our conversation today. In preparation for this moment, I asked Pastor Lee, I said, Pastor Lee, what is it that you desire me to, to deliver to the people? Is there a theme, a topic, something that you think is relevant for this, this time? And do you know what he said to me? In the conversation, he looked back and he said, I want you to, to touch evangelism, evangelism. I said, okay, we can talk about evangelism, and this is how I want to do it. I want you all to know that while many of us would love to write off 2020 as if it never happened, the truth of the matter is that it has, and it, it has affected not just you and me, but every single person on the globe. And I want you to know, family and friends, that one of the, the apparent shifts, one of the attributes that is going to mark the post-pandemic church that is thriving, that is effective, that is full of power and doing what God has called them to do is, here it is, it concerns mental health. This is after taking some time to analyze the trends and to seek God's face. And with a heightened level of spiritual sensitivity, I have come to you today with this startling truth that 74% of non-practicing Christians say they would be engaged in church if there was preaching and programming that dealt with mental health. Mental health is something that I think is a glaring need and issue that has been exacerbated by our pandemic. What is it that you're referring to, Pastor J.D.? I'm talking now about federal surveys that say that there has been now an, a, a resurgence of psychosis in the form of depression, anxiety, trepidation, uh, 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 panic attacks, all of these things that deal with mental health. Our churches are going to step up and start to provide ministry that will help meet the needs of those who are struggling in silence in the confines and solitude of their homes. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's some parent who's listening, might be in your car right now, and you have what, here it is, Harvard uh, Business School produced a, an article that said that there is such a thing as pandemic in pandemic-induced anger. <laughs> and I don't know what family member and, 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 and parent has been dealing with pandemic-induced pain, frustration from all of the uncertainties that surround us. But today, today, I'm just setting the foundation before we go to our text. The problem that I'm seeing is, according to the CDC, one in four young adults said that they thought about taking their lives in the last 30 days. I'm talking about suicidal ideation. I'm talking about people who are overwhelmed because they've lost their jobs, because they had dreams, visions, goals, and endeavors that have not come to manifestation nor fruition as anticipated. And this year transitioned as we went from 2020 into 2021. And some of us have been in situations that have not improved, but have gotten worse. And better yet, some of us are still spinning our spiritual wheels, seeking for God to do something something, but we've not yet walked into the revelation that God has placed in our lives. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I didn't come here to play. I need you to know that there are individuals who are struggling, struggling in our community, struggling in our churches, struggling because they need some hope, encouragement, and guidance, and God is saying that it's time for us to shift our perspective, even in the terms of evangelism, and it's time for us to start looking at people not as truncated individuals who are exclusively spiritual in nature. 
trying to explain something before we go to the text? Because I want you to know that we are more than spiritual beings. There is a relational, there is a racial, there is a psychological, there's a mental aspect to all of our personhood. And I want us to start ministering not by giving theological jargon and talking about concepts that are so capricious and lofty that it's not touching us in our very situation. Someone needs to know that while I'm going through, someone understands what it means to be depressed and to be on the sidelines because you want to be in the game, but you don't have enough energy to get up out the bed and open up the windows and let the sunlight in your room. Someone needs to know that God understands what you're going through. And you don't have to get it all together when you come to church. As a matter of fact, the doors of the church have been closed for a while, which then causes us to now ponder how we can meet the needs of the people without going through the customary, traditional route of evangelistic opportunity. God is saying someone is in need, and what I've called you to do is find a way to meet it. So... With this foundation, it's now, I think, appropriate that we, uh, uh, we, we, we address the text of Scripture that we have read for our consideration. Because, brothers and sisters, in the text, Ezekiel the prophet has been given a parabolic vision of God. And in the, oh God, in the spirit, Ezekiel is placed in a valley ankle deep in dry bones. Now, as he's here, I want you to peruse the valley and open up your eyes and use your imagination for a moment. I want you to consider that these bones, the Bible says, are very dry. They've been bleached and baked by the hot rays of the sun. These bones, y'all, are now splintered and they're scattered all over the place. And, and then when in, placed in this situation, God poses a question to Ezekiel. Did you hear the inquiry? Did you hear the interrogative statement? He merely asks him, he says, son of man, God, I'm about to help somebody. Can these bones live? Now, I want you to know now that, that, that when God asks a question, he's not seeking additional information that he doesn't already possess. God is, I think, making a point, and I want to extricate the point for us today so that you can understand why God posed the question. Why did God ask him, can these bones live? Well, I want somebody to understand today that these children of Israel who were caught in the middle of Babylonian captivity, they felt that they were hopeless. They were without a future. There was darkness, and it was dismal and dreary and they in this situation when they felt like they were finished when the promise was finished when the revelation would not come to pass it's in this position that God calls Ezekiel to the prophetic office so that he can deliver a message that will speak to their situation I'm trying to set this thing up Ezekiel's name means God will strengthen I'll pause for a moment and I want you to know that Ezekiel was not called without specific intention for I believe that before Ezekiel opened up his mouth to declare a message that God told him to echo Ezekiel showed up introduced himself as Ezekiel and somebody got some encouragement just by hearing his name because when you heard Ezekiel you've got to know that if Ezekiel's name means God will strengthen that means that if you're in the middle of your mess you have chaos swirling in your orbit you don't know how you're gonna make it and it doesn't look like there's no way I need somebody to know that when you feel like you are weak and have 
heavy laden. God says just by calling Ezekiel by name that you can reach for the strength of your daddy. In the middle of your situation, you are not hopeless for there is a God who will make himself available and who will strengthen you in the middle of your situation so that you can keep putting one foot in front of the other. I don't know who needs to reach for the strength of their daddy today, but is anybody here willing and transparent enough to say that I've had some moments when I didn't know how I was going to make it. I didn't know how I was going to get through. And while I couldn't call on that person and I couldn't lean on that person, there was someone who I could lean on in the middle of my darkness. It was God. God was my strength. God provided me when I needed him most. The strength of God, brothers and sisters, is made available to those who need it. And God said, Ezekiel, I'm calling you. Before we consider the, the, the message, can you just consider the man's name? His name is Ezekiel. God help me. And God said, God said, I want you to answer this question. While looking at the death and decay that surrounds you, the question now becomes, is there hope in this situation? Oh, God. Is there hope? Can these dry bones live? Now, I want this to be a moment of instruction because some of us are unaware that one of the main ploys and, and, and strategies of the devil is to limit the exposure of God's people so that what you see is all you see, so you'll never see all there is to see. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. Because when you come to a valley full of dry bones, like if I were to drive down the street, let's go ahead and go there. If I were to drive down the street and see a, a motionless body on the, the, the street, Chris, I think I might get out the car, run over there, and perform CPR. I'm going to try to revive them because there's still hope in my mind. There's still some potentiality in the atmosphere. But if I were to drive down that same road and I saw a skeleton chilling over there on the side of the road, I'm not getting out the car. I'm not performing mouth-to-mouth -mouth because that is a situation in which there is no hope. And God said, let me go ahead and put you there in that place that you think you literally can't get out of, in that predicament that you think you can never be extracted from and in the middle of this situation I'm posing the question can these bones live can these bones live in a house where there's nothing but drama pain and dysfunction can these bones live can these bones live when you've been fired from your job only to discover that God is the only one who can demote you and promote you at the exact same time because God will let the devil break you in all of the right places and set you up for your divine future. Somebody needs to know as we are approaching the question, can these dry bones live? And the problem is the devil will limit your perspective, which is why I've come to declare that before you judge them, You've got to recognize that you, oh God, we are not our sin. We are a story. So that you don't jump to conclusions based on the death that seems apparent in the life of a person who doesn't look like you, dress like you, talk like you, and does not look like they have the same potential that you have. Can I stop here and encourage somebody to stop jumping to conclusions about people who might have ta tattoos all over their body, people who might not be early for Sabbath school every week, folk who are struggling up the rough side of the mountain before you put your mouth on them. I need you to ask yourself the question, can these bones live? 
God can do. Y'all talking about evangelism? Can the bones live? Because what's the point? What's the point in engaging in evangelism if your whole intent is to get somebody into a building and then God shuts down the building and you can't go in the building? So now I guess evangelism is going to have to be put on pause. I'm here to tell y'all, oh, God, if our, if our vision is to, is, oh, God, if our vision is coming to Christ means coming to a building, then you need to shift the vision that you have in 2021. Because, because what God is saying is, what God is saying is that when it comes to approaching a situation that might seem hopeless, oh God, here it is. Ezekiel looks back to God and says, God, you know. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Because, because if what you see is all you see, you'll never see all there is to see. So Ezekiel says, God, I trust your vision and not mine. I want you to answer it, and I won't, I refuse, because if I base it off of what I see, then I won't have the same optimism and positivity that I know you called me to exhibit. So what I'll do is, I'll put it back on you, God. What are, what's your vision for this group? What is your thought? What are your intentions? Because if you say they can live, then God, I trust what you have to say. Which is why God, oh, Lord, I want to move on, but I feel like I need to sit here, Dr. Wilson. Which is why some of our communities are in such disrepair. Because if the devil can limit your exposure, you will begin to accept a life that is beneath your divine birthright. Which is why some of these young men are making these horrible decisions. Because they never saw a man go to college and then graduate with a degree. They never saw a father who was there and was present and encouraging and a man who knew how to pray. Sometimes it's because of the lack of exposure, which is why the devil wants to limit our exposure. Why is the young lady still going through this drama, still making these horrible decisions? Maybe it's because she's not seen a woman who doesn't have to put down another woman in order to lift up herself. Maybe she's not seen a healthy relationship. Maybe we, because our, our communities are in such disrepair because we, black families, we've not seen another fam, black family own another house or, or start a business and be successful. All of a sudden, the devil will limit your perspective so that you will start to accept limited situations, which is why God has to pose the question, can you see beyond what you see? God help me. Can you see beyond what, don't talk about evangelistic strategies. I need to talk about your mindset for a second. What's the point in engaging when you don't even believe that there's hope? And when you don't even believe you can do it? Can I tell somebody right now that there is still hope? There's still hope. There's still potential. And this is, this is, this is where we've come. God says, can they live? And what does, what does Ezekiel say? He says, God, you know. And then he's given this encouraging word. And y'all, this is where I'm going to, to exit. He says to him, son of man, <laughs> prophesy. Prophesy over these bones. Now, now, in order to understand the import of this instruction, you've got to go with me to, to Exodus chapter 7. I believe it's verse 1. When God tells Moses that I'm going to make you, Moses, like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your prophet. What does it mean to prophesy? When Moses went to Pharaoh, his job was to let Aaron know what to say. And Aaron would then echo whatever Moses wanted to say to Pharaoh on Moses' behalf. 
If, if in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, God said, Moses, I will metaphorically make you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your prophet, what is our prophetic responsibility? It's not to come up with and conjure up a, a clever uh, message to give to someone who's in the middle of a situation. No, you are not to, Aaron, come up with the message. You're merely to say, Moses, what do you want to say? And then echo the message. Prophesying to the people and prophesying to the bones is illustrated right here beautifully because watch this. Ezekiel does not say what God told him not to say. The only thing he says is exactly what God told him to deliver. God, I hope, are y'all still with me? Go ahead and honk your horn if you're still with me. Because, because, watch this. Just so you know, I'm not just talking. Let me hide myself in scripture. Because God then tells him after he says prophesy, he then says, I want you to repeat after me. Tell the bones it's time to live. <laughs> and don't just talk to the bones. I need you to talk to the sinews in the flesh. And, and I need you to talk to the breath. God told him exactly what he wanted him to declare. And the pro here it is. The power in the prophetic utterance is not in the, the one who prophesies, but it's in the one who actually gave the initial word to deliver. In other words, these bones live not because of Ezekiel, but because Ezekiel had the nerve to repeat the word of God in this dead situation. Which is why I've come here today to encourage somebody in an evangelistic way that it's time for us to start prophesying. What do you mean prophesy? I'm talking now about walking into some situations where it looks like there is nothing but depression, hopelessness, and fear. And I need somebody to start declaring, thus saith the Lord. You've got to let somebody know that he will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you've got to learn to prophesy and repeat God's word for this season to let somebody know that if you don't give up they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up on wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and now can somebody learn to prophesy and start declaring over yourself who are those people who are struck who are stuck in shame and false guilt and feel like they don't deserve forgiveness that the Bible declares in first John chapter oh God one verse nine it says that if you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's time for us to prophesy, but you can't prophesy if you don't know what God's word declares, which is, here it is, the shift in the text happens, God, when Ezekiel starts to say what God told him to say. And then all of a sudden the story goes, there was a loud click Click, 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 and a rattling started to take place. And, and he looked around and he noticed that these bones that were strewn and scattered all of a sudden are now being drawn to its original partner in this divine display of reassembly as if, as if some uh, uh, invisible magnet was pulling each bone back together. And then he saw the, the foot bone connect to the, the leg bone and the leg bone connect to the knee bone and, and the knee bone connected to the thigh bone and the, the thigh bone connected to the hip bone and the 
hip bone connected to the backbone and the backbone connected to the neck bone doing the skeleton. And all of a sudden, they had now, rather than strewn bones, you now have these bones that have been connected so the bodies are laying on the ground. And then there's all of a sudden a new uh, revelation that takes place because sinews appear and tendons and then all of this flesh and then skin covers the flesh. Watch this. So now there are no longer dry bones in a valley full of death, but now there are beautiful bodies that are lying motionless on the ground. But watch this. There is then another instruction given because now it's time to prophesy to the breath and not just the body. I'm going to explain this to somebody because I think there's some, some spiritual goodness here. This point is pregnant because I need somebody to know that when you look at the church, this metaphor, I think, applies beautifully because while everything was in place, there was no life. So the bones have been connected. The skin is covering flesh. But these beautiful bodies are lying motionless because while everything is in place, there's still no life in the body. So the next step is to now prophesy over the breath. And the reason why I need somebody to know this, because I want to paint the picture, y'all. I need you to get this, and we're going to close. You now have uh, the, the, the brain in the head, but it ain't thinking. You know, you, you got the heart in the chest, but it ain't beating. You got the lungs in place, but, but they're not breathing. Because here it is. Many, many churches have people in place, but God said it's not good enough to be in place. It's time for us to be empowered. Because you can be in place but not empowered and have the form of godliness, but deny the power thereof so that you got great attendance at church, but no real spiritual life, which is why God is telling us that if you don't shift the trajectory of the evangelistic model that we have used for years, we will then begin to produce motionless bodies sitting inside of sanctuaries. But there's no life because watch this. Oh, God, the only way that you can get life, the only way you can live with anointing and power is when you receive the breath, the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And the beautiful thing about the Spirit is that when the Spirit empowers you, you are not, in, oh God, you are not incarcerated by the belief that my, my presence in a building on a day, on a specific day at a specific time positions me for evangelistic duty. I'm here to tell somebody that God said, I don't want to just get you in heaven. I want to get heaven in you. I, I, I'm, oh God. I don't want you just to come and be in my presence. I want my presence to be in you, which is why God, I believe this, shut down many of our churches because many of us were in his presence, but we left his presence without his presence being in us. And God said, I need to ruin your equilibrium, and I need to switch this thing up so that you can learn to ignore the weekly placebo effect by coming and getting your, thing, your feelings and emotions tickled by coming inside of a place where the Spirit of God is moving around you, but then leaving without making a, a decision to live empowered and filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't know who I'm talking to, but has anybody reached the point in your spiritual journey where being in, the, in His presence is not good enough? I need His presence to be in me. I need the anointing to be on me. I need for God's power to be made manifest in my life. Brothers and sisters, here it is. It's time to stop going to church and it's time to start being the church.
Because if I am the church, when I show up, church just walked in the door, which means I can have church at home and I can have church on a on a, Watch this. Oh, God, in a building owned by a church. All right, let's, let, let me shift. Let me shift. Because there is another disturbing trend, and I want to say this, and then I'll close. There is now going to be in the post-pandemic church era a distributed gathering. I'm talking now about micro gatherings that will take place outside of a building owned by the church, but are just as much considered church experiences as the 11 o'clock service is every single week. Oh, I hope I'm not disturbing you guys. I know we're going back into the church soon, but, but somebody has to get here because I don't, oh God, if you walk back into the church building the same way you left the church building, if you get, you re-engage in your leadership position. Oh, let me tell you something. I don't, I don't know about this church. I'm not going to talk about Madison. I'll talk about my churches and some other churches. Man, you want to know which, which ministry <laughs> suffered the most in the pandemic? Man, we had all these volunteers. Hey, let's go and hang out with the children. Not during the pandemic. Folks started, look, it was like, yo, where are the volunteers at? Uh, we need, our kids need ministry too. And a lot of us put a lot of energy and effort into now shifting and making the alterations so that the adults' needs can be met. But God is saying that we can't ignore the kids no more, which is why, oh God, if you come back into the sanctuary the same way you left the sanctuary, if God were to, to mess things up again and to allow a pandemic to derail us, I'm here to tell you that we'd be back in the same position. And the question then becomes, if we go back in for one week and then have to leave again the next week, would we be in the same messed up situation where we got five people who are going to show up to set things up and three people who are going to stay to take things down? Oh, God. Oh, I feel him moving me in a different direction, man. But, I, but, but what I've learned is this. God sometimes will let things linger so that we can see if what you're talking about is how you're going to walk. So that we have people, oh God, I'm sorry, y'all. I got to say it because he told me to say it. To where we have people who have now revealed the true nature of their souls. Because when we needed you in a pandemic, you could never be. You know what? It was like you were in the witness protection program. We couldn't find your number. We couldn't figure out when you were going to show up. And God is saying, this is, here it is. I'm trying to recalibrate my people. And in order to do it. I need you to get into a place where you understand what it means to be hopeless. And you know what it means to be depressed. And you know what it means to be struggling. And you know what it means to now need the strength of God in your life. If you could play something, we're about to, we're about, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so here it is. The question then becomes, Pastor, I think then you need to explain what part of this particular passage uh, connects with my situation. I want to declare to you that I think there are a few different people. Number one, God is talking to the Ezekiels among us. I feel the need to move here. He's talking to the people who have a role, a duty, a responsibility to go into spaces and places where death pervades and to speak life into dead situations. But watch this. Your pronouncement cannot be merely through declaration. It needs to be through demonstration. Which is why you can't hold your testimony to yourself 
I know some people were elevated in the pandemic, but there were a lot of us who weren't, and we had, we lost some loved ones. We lost some jobs. We had some stuff that we didn't know how we were going to get through it, and here it is. We come back into church, and don't you dare start giving those sadity testimonies. Y'all know what I'm talking about. During the pandemic, thank God that I didn't give up. All right. How about instead of you talking about what you didn't do, why don't you celebrate God for getting you out of that place that you put yourself in, in that place where you say, you know what, y'all, I struggled. I had some moments when I literally didn't know if I was going to make it, and I'm here to tell you that God pulled me through. Why don't you start testifying about where you were and how God met you in that place and then extracted you and put you on a whole nother level? It's time, y'all, if we are to be the evangelistic tools in the hands of God, it's time for us to start testifying fine. Yo, man. I, I, oh God, I think one of the reasons why this is such a strong conviction of mine is because in one of my churches, I had a woman who on our installation Sabbath told children's story, had kids, heard that she was missing. Next thing we know, we find her in a car in the back of a CVS parking lot. She took her life. Didn't know she was struggling. Just checked out of here. And it shook our congregation in such a way where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How can we be a, called a church, a fellowship of believers? And we got folk who are struggling in silence sitting on the sidelines in the virtual sanctuary, tuning in every once in a while. But because we don't see them, we don't check on them. And now we got people in isolation who are, who are throwing in the towel. And God said if we're going to be a post-pandemic church that meets the needs of God's people, we can't ignore the ugly reality of our situation. And it's time for us to start engaging in relevant ministry. Uh, there should be, let me, let me give you some examples. There should be a COVID-19 relief program where you take people through the process of dealing with unresolved trauma, where you walk people through the process of dealing with loss and struggle and trial, where we don't come spiritualizing everything. But we actually connect with organizations in our community that are, 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 are trained in the mental health arena to where we start using our sanctuaries as hubs where now mental health issues can be dealt with. If we emerge from the pandemic, and one of the only reasons, oh God, and this is one of the reasons why I love Madison, this is why I think God called this church into being, is because a sanctuary was not built first. A family life center was. Because if we are to be God's people, we've got to learn to deal with every aspect of life and not just invite folk to an 11 o'clock service. We've got to start becoming a place where people can have their needs met, not just for a worship service. Where are recovery programs? Where are new parenting programs? Where is the recidivism program? I, I need to know. I need to know. What has God gifted us with in our church? And how can we then provide support 
and help these people who have specific gifting. Can I prophesy over somebody right now? I hear the word of God speaking right now to someone who God is saying it's time for you to stop being sitting so high on your sanctimonious high horse. Come off of that thing. Recognize you've had some unresolved trauma and take your behind to counseling. Someone needs to leave this sermon not saying, thank God for Pastor J.D. coming and reminding us that there's hope. No, you need to leave here and look, start, start researching um, psychotherapy. Because some of us are letting our unconscious trauma run our lives. And I'll say this, woe to the person because I've been there. It'll lead to you making some dumb decisions. When you got stuff you ain't dealt with, unconscious stuff, I'm talking now, with, if, if you want to start being in control, I'm talking now about walking with power and authority in your life. Somebody needs to go to counseling in this doggone place. I'm going to tell it right. If anybody knows what this preacher is saying, you better honk your horn and celebrate this moment because there's someone who needs some, some professional intervention. And no, it ain't going to happen. Whoa, God. <laughs> when you call sister so-and-so to pray with you, Thank God for a listening ear. Now it's time for you to look that stuff in the, in the face, that ugly stuff that you've been pushing under the rug. And it's time for us to start walking in healing. And oh, God, I feel like healing is bringing. God wants to heal somebody. Who needs healing? I need right now those of us who, who know that I stand in the need of some healing. Healing from some wounds that I've suffered over this last year. Healing from some losses and some unexpected situations. God is saying that this is a place for healing. This Madison mission is a transformation station where people can come and as they matriculate in and through the sanctuary, they don't just get a good word. <laughs> they leave because good relevant ministry has touched every aspect of their being. And that is what God has called us to do. And that's why God called me to come to remind you of the goal and the mission. The mission is not to get people back in the sanctuary. The mission is to get the sanctuary of God inside of you. Oh, because, oh, God, because we will sing songs like, Lord, make me a sanctuary. And then when the sanctuary's closed, now we can't have church. Did you forget the words that you just declared? Lord, make me a sanctuary. If I am a sanctuary, that means God's presence dwells in me. So when I show up, church just arrived. Relegated to doing things the way they've always been done. I feel like I need to give a liturgy course right now. Did you not know that church has always transitioned? It's never remained the same. Do y'all know what church was in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with their maker. Ain't nobody was worried about the clothes they wore. You know, the stupid stuff that we like to highlight as being so central and foundational. You know what was priority? The presence of God. That was worship. And then, of course, it transitions. I'll do this quickly. It transitions to where now you've got a sin problem. And now how do you deal with the sin problem? God instituted a new form of worship. It was when you had to take lambs and stuff and you had to slay them. And, and it was a metaphorical, symbolic worship experience that spoke to a spiritual reality. And after Jesus came, that had to change. 
even, watch this, even when they were transitioning in and through the wilderness, they had a mobile nomadic worship experience. But then when they had a place, that's when God said, David, it's time for us to build a sanctuary. Solomon showed up and built it. But watch this, the same sanctuary was torn down. They were taken to Babylonian captivity, after which they had to come back and rebuild. It's, I, don't have, I don't have enough time. In rebuilding, yeah, yeah. God had to tell them through Zechariah, he said, look, I know it ain't going to look like Solomon's temple, but watch this. The la Oh, here's the message. The latter will be greater than the former. I don't know who's, who's anxious about what's happening next, but can somebody receive this word? The latter will be greater than the former. I know it won't look the same. I know it won't feel the same, but the prophetic message of God today is that the latter <laughs> will be greater than the former. It won't have, oh God, in Babylonian captivity, they had all of this, this secondhand material. Because before, with Solomon's temple, everything was, was immaculate. But look, they said we were in captivity. Let's build with what we got. And some people were, were not okay with it. They said it won't look like the old sanctuary. But you know what happened? God said, watch, one of the reasons why the new sanctuary is going to be better is because Jesus is going to walk through that thing. <laughs> and if anybody needs this encouraging word, as long as Jesus is still walking in and through my life, I need somebody to know that I know it doesn't look good and it doesn't feel good. But as long as God is with me, as long as Jesus is by my side, the latter will be greater than the former. Huh. And then all of a sudden, when Jesus went back to glory, y'all do know that the early uh, Christian church did not meet in sanctuaries. They worshiped in homes. Paul is over here planting and, and launching and building. And, and he didn't do it the same way it was done before. He did it in a new, here it is. Worship and church has transitioned and gone through metamorphoses over the years. And I'm here to tell you that we're doing the same thing now, but it's going to look. I know it looks like a dead, dry, dead situation, but somebody needs to receive this hope. The latter will be greater than the former. The latter, can you all say that with me? The latter will be greater than the former. Yeah. And this is here, this is the appeal time. Question then becomes, who's ready? <laughs> who's ready? Who has a level of anticipation and expectation? Who wants to expand your borders and prepare yourself for the reception of God's blessing over your life? Is anybody ready for transition, ready for shift, ready for elevation, ready for a new season? Are y'all ready for God to move you forward and progress you toward your divine destiny, then this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you receive this word over your life and you say, God, I won't give up, even when it looks dismal and drear, I won't give in, even when it looks like I have no hope, I know that there's great things in store for me. This is my prayer over you. Close your eyes and receive this prayer right now. Father in heaven, my prayer is for the people of God who are excited about their future. My humble request is that you would not allow us to be overwhelmed by the lack of the present and forget that we know the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills and that you have a special agenda you've attached to our days. So God, may we hold on to positivity. May we hold on to hope and may we not give up in the middle of this situation. You are our God. You 
you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we trust you even when we can't trace you. And we believe that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And those of you right now who are saying, preacher, if you're in the virtual space, you're saying, preacher, I need for somebody to connect with me because I do have a desire to receive guidance in the form of a Bible study. I need baptism. I want to rededicate my life. I don't want to go back into this sanctuary before I've recommitted my life to Jesus. And you know what? I understand that I've got some lessons that I need to learn because I don't go into my future foot first. I go head first. I hope somebody received that. I, I, need, I need some help here. I need some help, mental help. I need some encouragement. I'm, I've been struggling with some, some depression. If you need that type of assistance, I'm encouraging you all in the virtual space. I don't know where you are, what platform you're tuning in through. I want you right now to reach out. Reach out and let us know how we can be a blessing to you. This church is committed right now. This church is committed to being more than just a worship uh, station where people come and experience God at 11 o'clock. This is a church that's willing to do whatever is necessary to help you along your journey. That is our evangelistic model. That is what our post-pandemic experience will be. And you are the beginning of a new season in this, in this church's ministry. And we're grateful for it and we're excited about it. So if that's you, I need you reaching out. And if you're here, I need you to do the same thing. Let us know how we can be a blessing to you. And I'm praying now. Father in heaven, thank you again for each person who recognizes that they need divine intervention and they can't do this by themselves. I pray right now that you would cover us, cleanse us, cover us with, with your robe of righteousness and, and pardon us, oh God, from our mistakes and missteps. And, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us, position us so that we can receive the assistance that's required in this next season of our life oh yeah we receive it we believe it is done in the name of jesus let those who receive the blessing let me go ahead and hear you honk your horns one time celebrate the good god of your salvation make your boast in the lord oh yeah because the future is bright and we receive the hope of god in this season god bless you